Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Today's topic, Jesus' Eighth Day, The Cutting. Christmas is really not a celebration of the actual birthday of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We actually do not know the date of Jesus' birth or the day and month of when he was born. With sheep being in the field, it's more likely a day in the spring or the fall of the year is when he was born. Instead, Christmas Day is a celebratory remembrance of the great truth of Jesus' incarnation. The Word became flesh for the salvation of people. In today's post-Christianized culture, especially in the West, such as in the United States, we reach a crescendo of holiday expressions on Christmas Day, often without Christ, and then we promptly forget what follows. However, what followed Jesus' birth is just as important as the actual birthing by Mary as demonstrated in the nativity accounts of Matthew and Luke, chapters 1 and 2. Let's assume, for the sake of argument, that Jesus was born on December 25th. Then the eighth day would fall on our January 1st of our current calendar. Some very significant events happened on this eighth day of Jesus' life. Luke records this for us in Luke 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, Jesus is the way we pronounce his name in English, but we've derived that from Latin. And you see, Latin did not have the same uh, letter and sound that was in the original language, either Hebrew or the Greek from the, in the Septuagint. And so it substituted uh, the J sound. So we have Jesus, but his actual name, Hebrew name, is Yeshua. The name of God translation reads, eight days after his birth, the child was circumcised and named Yeshua. Now let's consider briefly the meaning of these two great events on Jesus' eighth day. Today, we want to consider the first event on the eighth day of his life. Jesus better translated, Yeshua was circumcised as commanded by the law of Moses and as a sign of his being a participant in the Abrahamic covenant. Circumcision consists of the surgical removal of the skin that covers the tip of the penis, usually performed soon after birth. It is practiced as a religious sign by Jews and Muslims. Jesus' circumcision signified that he was a descendant of Abraham and thus under the law that God added through Moses to the Abrahamic covenant. And so Jesus, as a participant in the Abrahamic covenant, and is one under the subject, subjected under the law of Moses, receives the sign of circumcision. Paul writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. English Standard Version. Or the name of God version reads, But when the right time came, God sent his Son into the world. A woman gave birth to him, and he came under the control of the laws given to Moses. God sent him 
to pay for the freedom of those who were controlled by these laws so that we would be adopted as his children. Now, the fullness of time means the appointed time for the fulfillment of covenant promises, for their completion. Their covenant promises are attached to the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, there is uh, the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant. This is the time when the shadows of the covenants were to yield to the full reality or the substance in the person and work of the Messiah, the promised seed. Jesus, that is Yeshua, was born under the law. He was subject to the law as a son of the commandments. Thus, his parents performed the required rituals of the law. So Yeshua, on the eighth day, received a mark in the flesh of belonging to the covenant that God made with the people of Israel, the Hebrews. However, for Yeshua, even more significant, uh, even more signified by this ceremony, he was born to undergo the testing of temptation as presented to Adam in the garden and to Israel in the wilderness in the days when they were traveling to reach the border of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. Now, where Adam fell as the first head of the human race by transgressing the command of God, Yeshua must render perfect obedience to all of God's commands. And this will be demonstrated for us in the temptation of Christ, also recorded for us uh, in Matthew and in Luke. Paul writes, Romans 5, 19, For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now also in contrast to Israel, who failed to enter the promised land after God had brought them to its border, and they did not enter through unbelief, so the Messiah must both have and demonstrate full belief in God throughout his life and his ministry and in God's word of promise. He passed both of these tests. By his perfect obedience to God's laws and full faith in the Father's word and promise, Yeshua would qualify to stand as the representative head of the elect of humanity. His life as perfect, sinless man qualified him for the death he would die as our substitute redeemer to redeem us, to purchase us back, we who are captive under the law of sin and death and the preparatory laws of the old covenant. Colossians 2.14, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Again, right, quoting from Hebrews chapter 10, who quotes in turn from Psalm 40, we read the following words. Therefore, as he, that is the Messiah, was coming into the world, he, Yeshua, said, you did not want perfect you did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says the above, You did not want or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. Then he says, again, speaking of Yeshua, speaking to the Father, see, 
I have come to do your will. That is, he takes away the first to establish the second, writes the author of Hebrews. By this will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Listen to the lyrics of this hymn expressing the biblical truth of Jesus' circumcision. O sacred head, when first was poured the blood of our redeeming Lord, O solemn day, when first began his sufferings for sinful man. Just born into this world of woe, his blood for man was made to flow. His future death was thus expressed, thus too his earthly love confessed. From heaven descending to fulfill the mandates of his Father's will, even now behold the victim lie, the Lamb of God prepared to die. Beneath the knife behold the child, the innocent, the undefiled, for captives he the ransom pays, for lawless man the law obeys. Now for the question, what is the relationship of Jesus' physical circumcision to his death on the cross and to those who are united to him by faith in his name? Now this was a pressing question in the early days of the church as recorded in the New Testament as we read the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of Paul and Peter. What is the relationship of the rite of circumcision to Christians? Listen to three translations in the English of Colossians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. First from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. First, with reference to Jesus, Paul informs us, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. God's word translation of Colossians 2.11 reads, in him you were also circumcised. It was not a circumcision performed by human hands, but it was a removal of the corrupt nature in the circumcision performed by Christ. And then lastly, the New Century translation of Colossians 2.11. Also in Christ, you had a different kind of circumcision, a circumcision not done by hands. It was through Christ's circumcision, that is his death, that you were made free from the power of, of the sinful self or the corrupt self, the old nature. So interpreted, this means that Jesus the Messiah was cut off on behalf of his people on the cross. His ultimate circumcision was his death on the cross under the curse and the judgment of God for us sinners in our place so that we could be brought near to God, forgiven and adopted by God. Jesus arose victorious from death on the third day, and his death and resurrection is how we are reconciled to God by grace through faith in him alone. The passage states that we are circumcised not by hands, not the physical hands of physical circumcision, nor physical hands of another ritual supposedly substituted in its place. 
It is not a physical act or ritual performed by people on people. It is a spiritual act by Jesus Christ himself through the person and power of the Holy Spirit. So accordingly, circumcision no longer carries its covenantal sign significance. In fact, for one to now submit to it as a covenant sign of union with God's people would contradict the work of Christ Jesus on our behalf. Again, listen to Paul. Galatians 5, verse 2. Look, this is the English Standard Version. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Again, reading Galatians 5, verses 5 and 6. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In other words, physical circumcision no longer counts for anything spiritually. It's spiritual circumcision that's performed by Christ in regeneration through the Holy Spirit upon the believer based on and in union with his actual historical circumcision of death on the cross that counts and makes us the covenant people of God. Here's how Paul concludes his teaching on this matter. Galatians chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. He was talking about the Judaizers. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. Stated positively, people who are united to Jesus the Christ by faith in him and his redemptive actions for us are constituted the circumcised, the spiritually circumcised, and constituted thus the true worshipers of God, participants in the new and everlasting covenant. Philippians 3, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. Next broadcast we will pick up the second event on Jesus' eighth day, his naming. Until then, remember Jesus' eighth day and what it means for us and our salvation in our relationship to God.